close your eyes unless you're driving or walking on a busy street. And then please do not close your eyes. And imagine that you are a kid embarking on a very exciting annual expedition. Back to school shopping. And no, I am not talking about the trip you took to the mall to find the perfect outfit to reintroduce you to your classmates after a long summer. I'm talking about school supplies. Going to Staples or Office Depot with my mom every August to stock up on notebooks, binders, pens, pencils, crayons, and everything else on that coveted supply list always felt like such a treat. To this day, I love an office supply or stationery store. As you allow yourself to be transported back to these shopping trips, I would like you to picture a very specific style of black and white marbled notepad with the words composition book printed on the cover. Do you have the image in your head? Great. If, like me, you grew up in the 90s and early aughts, I am willing to bet that this mental image also evokes an iconic character, Amelia. That's right, friends. Today, we are finally chatting about Amelia's Notebook. We all know that Amelia's Notebook and its follow-ups were penned by none other than Amelia herself. But Marissa Moss also had a hand in the success of these illustrated books, which gained popularity thanks largely to their association with the American Girl brand. Stick around for the next hour to hear more about the history of the series, along with conversations about so many other things. Our favorite visual details of Amelia's Notebook, our childhood passions for journaling and scrapbooking, narratives about kids moving, the notion of likability and role models for kids, jelly roll noses, people-pleasing, Amelia's unfiltered quality, and our own nostalgia for handwritten creativity. Allow me to introduce you to today's guest, Mickey Hernandez. Mickey is an actress, voiceover artist, and children's book author. She attended UCLA, earning a degree in communications, and now works in film, television, and commercials. She is of mixed ethnic heritage and enjoys discussing culture and new perspectives on her blog, Mixed Kids & Co. Her debut children's book, Cake Mix, Learning to Love All Your Ingredients, is out this month from Paw Prints Publishing. In Mickey's free time, she can be found dancing, taking long walks in the sun, or planning her next international trip. Mickey lives in Los Angeles and can be found on Instagram at momickey and at mixedkidsco. Thanks, Mickey, for spending this time with the SSR community. As you probably already know, if you tapped this episode so you could listen to it, SSR is up to 252 episodes, and I didn't get here on my own. Over the last five years, listeners like you have played a key role in keeping momentum for the show going strong, and I am not ready to stop yet. If you'd feel so inspired, I would love for you to help me continue to spread the SSR love, whether that means sharing this episode on social media or with a friend in real life, or posting a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. SSR's Patreon supporters have played an especially significant role in getting me to this point. For just a few dollars every month, as little as $1 actually, these patrons get fun exclusive rewards, plus membership in a cozy family of book lovers, and the knowledge that they are taking an active role in their favorite independent content. Learn more and become a patron yourself by going to www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. A giant thank you goes out to all of the patrons tuning in now. This episode is brought to you by AHK Storytelling. 
I'm not wishing the summer away or anything, but as fall approaches, I wanted to let you know that I am planning to lean further into supporting creatives who are interested in sharing their stories in writing or podcasting. If you are feeling the creative bug and need some direction, coaching, planning help, or editing, I hope you'll consider working with me. Information about my background and offerings is available at ahkstorytelling.com. We heard a lot about Prime Day last week, and while I hope you scored a great deal on all of the goodies you were scoping out, I also hope that you can now join me in seeking out opportunities to support independent booksellers as well. Find your new favorite audiobook at Libro.fm. That's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M and use code SSRPODCAST when prompted to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Libro.fm is the perfect place to buy audiobooks because it supports indie booksellers instead of giant corporations. Grab your pens and pencils. It's time to get back into the world of Amelia's Notebook. Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Mickey. Welcome to SSR. Hey, Allie. Thanks so much for having me. I have been looking forward to this conversation for so long, and I know that there are many listeners out there who feel the same way. This book has been requested for literally years Listeners, finally, 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 we are tackling Amelia's Notebook. And Mickey, I have to hear everything about why you decided to choose this book. Did you read it when you were a kid? What did you remember about it? Tell me all of the things. It's so funny when you sent me a list of books to check out. I was like, okay, I've heard of that one, heard of that one. And then Amelia's Notebook, it sounded familiar just because Amelia is such a, you know, memorable name from our childhood. And then I, I Googled it and immediately saw the notebook cover and the illustrations. I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot about this book and the style. And I instantly, it took me back to, I don't know, second or third grade when I would read these. And and it's just such a nostalgic moment of, cause I, yeah, I remember them being kind of snarky and you know, she's like, like very honest and yeah. So it was really, really fun to have this throwback. So thanks for the suggestion. I'm a new fan. I'm obsessed now. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we finally had a taker for Amelia's Notebook. So I was a big fan of Amelia's Notebook and the whole series. I was actually shocked by how many books were in the series when I pulled the list. I knew that it didn't stop with this first book, Amelia's Notebook, but I have the whole list here and it like requires quite a bit of scrolling. It goes on and on. There are elementary school books. There are middle school books. She had these sort of guides. I remember that I had one that was like my notebook with help from Amelia where they were kind of trying to like give you a template to create your own. As a kid who always loved to write and attempted to journal consistently many times, like I was 100% the target audience and I was an American Girl kid and this book really came through the American Girl 
pipeline, although I didn't know that it sort of had a history before that. Apparently, it was published for the first time in 1995 by Tricycle Press, which is based out of San Francisco. And then it was a few years after that, that American Girl stumbled on it and was like, wait, this is great. They bought the rights and started printing pieces of it in the magazine. I was a big fan of American Girl magazine. And then (laughs) it expanded into this book universe. And then in 2006, Simon & Schuster picked it up. So it has kind of had this like interesting history. Wow. Yeah, I had no idea. I think for me, I was very similar in terms of journaling. I was quite a dramatic journaler. I would go home and I remember like going back and reading them and being like, why would I write this down? It's like this boy looked at me, you know? Took my <laughs> it was always, yeah, it was always like the most simple things, but I thought it was like this huge thing. And so looking through this book again, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm sure Amelia's notebook inspired that journaling part of myself. I also was really big into scrapbooking and collaging and going through magazines and cutting things out. So I have a, I I don't remember if you know this from the list, but I have like a distinct memory of there was like a camping notebook or like related to camping. Maybe I'm making that up. Let me see. I have the whole list here. So there's a road trip one. I wonder if it could be that one. Oh, maybe it's the road trip one. Yeah, Yeah. it's called Amelia Hits the Road slash Amelia's Are We There Yet Longest Ever Car Trip, which is a great title. Okay, yes. I do remember that because I grew up in California and my parents would always take us on road trips to like LA or San Francisco because I'm from Central California originally. And so, yeah, I think I probably bonded with her over the boring road trips and fighting with my brother. (laughs) I definitely had some of those other installments. I thought it was also interesting that Marissa Moss, the author, although of course Amelia will tell you all over the book itself that she is responsible for everything inside. 100%. Of course. I mean, the other author, the one who tried to take credit, Marissa Moss, she was inspired to write Amelia's notebook from a school supplies shopping trip with her son. And she just kind of stumbled on one of those black and white abstract marbled composition books. And she bought one and she wrote the first draft of Amelia's notebook by hand in one of those notebooks. And I thought this was really cool. She actually sent that notebook in its entirety to the publisher as is. And that's how she, yeah, that's how she got them interested in the book. And she went on to actually hand line all of the other subsequent books, because I guess for whatever reason, like design wise, it didn't work in the way that it started. So she actually like drew all of the lines and all of the books. So I just I think she's really cool. I, uh, I couldn't find much about her as like a human, but I thought that was an interesting origin story. Oh, that's so cool. And I think that's what's so neat about the book is I love the little notes on the side, you know, or like the little arrows pointing to this because that's just such a thing when you journal, especially as a kid, you want to make sure all the details are there. And that's amazing that she like hand wrote a manuscript and sent that in. Like, that's incredible. I like want to do that. (laughs) I agree. Look out, editors. That's what happened <laughs> right? for Mickey's next book. So it's very rare on the podcast that we get to review a book that's so like delightfully visual. And because this is a rare opportunity, I thought it would be fun for us to just kind of like go through the book together and call out some of our favorite moments. Yeah. We're not going to be able to cover everything, but this book is also not very long. So I think we'll be able to get to a lot of it. And I wanted to start by just pointing out a couple of the details on the outside of the book, some of which I remember from when I was a kid and many of which I don't. Of course, the front cover is very memorable. I love the by Marissa Moss, except for words and pictures by Amelia. 
But I totally don't remember the blurbs on the back of the book. This isn't something that I would have like known to look for as a kid, but all the blurbs are, they're not from authors as we are used to seeing on books in our normal reading lives. These are blurbs and quotes from people that Amelia knows. So the first one is the very best thing I've ever made, Amelia. Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so great. I love those details. Yeah, it's so cute how it, it really does feel like, I mean, I'm not sure how old Marissa Moss was when she wrote this, but it feels like an eight-year-old or 10-year-old, you know, you're like in her brain, see like all the little stamps. And I love like the top secret and like private stickers because it just, it feels so like we are like looking into her personal, you know, into her brain. <laughs> it's so fun. Yes. And her brain is an interesting place. Yeah. I love the stickers. Like you said, you were into scrapbooking. I was too. And so I was obsessed with stickers as a kid mm -hmm. and I would go to the craft store and they were all so expensive, but I just yes. like coveted the fancy stickers. And Amelia has some really cool ones on here. Yeah, definitely. So then we open it and I like when I opened this book for the first time as an adult, like you said, I was just transported. That inside cover where Amelia has her schedule, mm -hmm. I did this. And listeners, I'll make sure that I post plenty of screenshots and, and visuals of this so that you too can be taken back to your elementary school days. But Amelia has sort of like drafted out her daily schedule in what comes standard in these black and white composition books. And I remember like before reading Amelia's notebook, I would get those black and white composition books. And I didn't know what to do with that inside cover because I was mm -hmm. a kid and like, I didn't really have a schedule, but then I saw what Amelia did and I was like, oh, I'm going to do exactly what she did. And it just, it really like touched my heart even all these years later. Exactly. And I feel for me whenever, I don't know, I was obsessed with being a teenager when I was a kid, <laughs> you know, like Clueless had come out, just like a lot of the shows on like Disney Channel, like everyone just seemed like, like a teenager, you know, like Lizzie McGuire, it just seems so cool. And so I remember having... Yeah, in notebooks, the schedule also, but I didn't change classes, you know, it's right. like I had one class the whole day. <laughs> exactly. So I really love, in Amelia's, it's like the same teacher for all of them. It's right. Like, yeah. Mr. Noodle teaches English, history, science, you know, all of it. But I like how she even like broke it down by like different periods because I totally did that where even though I only had one classroom, I thought like, oh yeah, like I'm gonna go to the locker that didn't exist and I'm gonna like switch my books because <laughs> I'm a teenager and I'm 10. <laughs> Did you have an ideal age? Like my dream age as a kid was 12. I was obsessed with being 12. Really? What yeah. about 12 like intrigued you? I don't know. And 12 to this day is still my like favorite number. So I don't mm. know, like it's maybe a chicken or an egg situation. Like I don't know where I latched onto the number and if it was the number that interested me first or if I just liked the age. I I mean, I was a big fan of all of those Disney Channel shows too. And so I wonder if, I wonder if Lizzie McGuire was 12. Although I feel like the big turning point on a lot of those shows and in the movies was turning 13, becoming a teenager. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what it was about 12 that I was so fascinated by. But when I, when I grew up and I was always writing short stories, all of my characters were always 12. And I remember when I actually turned 12 and 13, I was like, oh no, like, am I now going to have to write about kids that are younger than me like yes it felt like a huge crossroads <laughs> you peaked exactly you peaked at 12 <laughs> exactly so I take it you were more interested in being older than 12 I was my favorite number in age growing up was 17 I oh. thought 17 was the coolest I don't know 
yeah, it's kind of weird to think of how that originated. I have an older brother, but he's only two years older. So I don't think I knew any 17 year olds personally, but in my mind, 17 was the coolest thing. Like you're still in high school. You don't have to be an actual adult yet, but it just seemed so cool. You can drive, driving is big. You can drive, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and there's just something about like, at 17 you're like independent, I don't mm. know. Yeah. Well, Amelia definitely wants to be older and she is doing her darn best <laughs> yes. to express herself as an older kid in this book. And then I love the little notes on the copyright page. I, at this age, had just learned like what a copyright page was. I distinctly mm. remember like when we had to go to library class in school, the librarian walking us through like what the copyright page meant. So this sort of was like an interesting tool to like supplement that education because we have Amelia making all of her comments which I thought was really smart. Like, I just think there were so many smart design choices made with this book. But then we get into, like, the real meat of the story. And like so many books, movies, TV shows intended for kids, Amelia's Notebook begins with a move. And a move that our main character does not want to make. She has to move away. And the first thing, like, you can't help but have your eye drawn to this massive block of highlighted text in the middle of the page that just says, I hate it here. Mm -hmm. Do you remember like encountering a lot of stories about kids moving when you were growing up? And like, why do you think we are so fascinated with that as kids? It's funny. I do remember that. And I think it's still happening to this day. It was always or like the start of a show would be like they just moved. So it's yeah. like their first day in a new town. And I never moved. Like I, I guess I kind of moved when I was a baby a couple of times. But I grew up in the same town. I have quite a unique experience of like from preschool to high school, I was in the same town. And so I remember watching, watching movies and watching shows and, and kind of like fantasizing or being curious, you know, how I would handle the move or if I would change up my whole persona or become a different person, you know. So yeah, reading this was really interesting again, because I, I personally don't remember like the details of the book. But when I first opened it, it was like, ah, of course, it's about a big move. You know, that just feels very, very that age and the theme of kind of starting over. And I also think it's funny, like that I hate it here. I feel like I see that all the time now on Instagram, you know, people <laughs> just like <laughs> making comments of like, I hate it here. I'm like, oh, wow, like we said that in the 90s. So yeah, did you move at all as a kid or? I did, and I hated it, but I was a little older than Amelia, so yeah, I feel like by the time I got to my own moves, like I had sort of already processed a lot of these stories. My parents were divorced, and so they got divorced when I was two, and so over the course of my childhood, like they both kind of made a bunch of moves, and some of those were more impactful for me because they actually changed where I went to school. Some of those moves didn't really make that much of a difference, except maybe I had to drive a little bit further on the weekends. But yeah, I think it's it's really like an interesting jumping off point for a lot of narratives for kids. You raise an interesting point too, because you mentioned how you didn't really remember anything about the story and I didn't either. And as I was reading the book, even as an adult, getting ready to talk to you, I found that like I still didn't really care about the story. Like this book is just so much more about the design and the experience and just like the unique format than it is about the story. And I feel like Amelia's journey from one school to another is almost incidental. 
Absolutely. Yeah. I think what I love about the format of the book is we really get a lot of these tangents or side thoughts or it's just, it's a very visual, but also a a nonlinear type of way of reading, which I appreciate as someone whose brain is going a hundred miles a minute. And so, yeah, it's kind of like you're, you're really with her as she's like going through these thoughts versus like recalling this time that she moved you know it feels like we're in real time with her which is kind of cool it's it's different i'm not used to used to stories like that as much and it feels very actually it it feels more digital or kind Mm. of like our digital brains are today you know versus like back then i didn't really think about asides and you know kind of look over here look over here it was just like oh yeah just so i i think it is kind of like before it's time in a way it's like a bunch of little social media posts like crafted together you know it's it's kind of crazy yeah imagine what amelia would have done with instagram or snapchat or tiktok (laughs) seriously she'd be all over tiktok i think she would have a youtube too like she'd be one of those Mm. really little kids that convinces their parents to let them have like a toy review channel And then Mm -hmm. it turns into something else. It was interesting when I I posted the other day that I was reading this book for a podcast episode. And as I mentioned, like everybody freaked out because they've been waiting for this forever. And a few people submitted like some specific comments. And somebody said that Amelia was the original bullet journaler. And so, yes, like there is something very digital about the way Amelia experiences things and then relates those experiences to us. But she also has this sort of bullet journal format. And that is also like very contemporary. I don't remember ever hearing about anything called a bullet journal when I was a kid. Yeah, me either. And I think too, it's so fun to have the little illustrations throughout because even though it isn't, I wouldn't call this, you know, like a picture book per se, like a children's picture book, but it feels very, it, it really like captures in all of the senses, you know, just looking at one of the pictures, like you see a burger or like her sister, like sticking out her tongue. Like it's just so imaginary and, and like visceral and kind of like puts you into all of her different moods. And it feels really, really fun and, and kind of random too, which I think as a kid was always, you know, our brains were doing a lot of different things <laughs> and it feels it like I felt like a kid reading it. I wasn't like, oh, wow, like, you know, why are the paragraphs? It was just fun. Like you said, it's just like a fun read that the story isn't really as important. It's more fun to kind of see like, oh, where are the arrows or where did she underline or highlight? Like, it's very visual, which I really like. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing is that like the plot, it's sort of incidental, as we were saying. And I also think that like another sort of big picture observation I had about the book, especially compared to like the now almost 250 that I've read for the podcast at this point, there are some books that are written for kids where you feel like it was so obviously written by an adult who like thinks they remember what it was like to be a kid. And so those books are a lot less fun to read because even though I really love talking about those books here on the podcast, it's just like not as fun. It feels a little patronizing. It feels a little bit like this is what we think kids will like and that is not always accurate. There are other books and I would say Amelia's Notebook is among them. And of course, like it's a different category. Like there are visuals and it's a very like multimedia kind of experience. But I feel like I'm just like supposed to be a kid experiencing this book. It feels very natural. I don't feel like it's written by an adult who's like, 
pretending they remember how to be a kid. It just like felt very easy to take in, not at all patronizing. It felt like it was trying to meet readers where they were. And even as a 32-year-old person, I felt like the book was meeting me where I am. And that says so much because it's a book that I think can meet people at a wide variety of age ranges, maybe from the time they're like 6 to 12. And now here I am, an adult. And I was like, okay, like this feels completely comfortable for me to be reading. And I don't always feel that way with books for the podcast. Yeah, and I think what was also really cool is, I don't know, I think we're in an interesting state in our culture where I think on one hand, it's very important that we have a lot of stories that are extremely meaningful or teaching a lesson or, you know, talking about a lot of like identity concepts or or ways to kind of bring people together. But what I did appreciate about this that felt kind of 90s was like, there was no like agenda, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was literally just this girl journaling. I like how she's kind of kind of sassy and like, you know, calls her sister, like she thinks she's Miss Perfect. Like it just felt very kind of petty. Yes. <laughs> In like the best way, you know, or like as a kid, it was like, okay to be petty, okay to be jealous, okay to, you know, be annoyed at your parents. Like it kind of had this feeling that we're not, really like needing to put on if that makes sense like put on an agenda she was just like all emotions a kid and that was really refreshing because even though like I love all the stories that we have out now I think there is like an extra layer that we have with our stories now to be more intentional and so this was like purely just like a fun read in itself if that makes sense. Yeah, I agree with you. And I didn't remember Amelia being so sassy, but I did want to call out the Kirkus review for this book is a little rude. Really? Yeah, I was surprised because most of the reviews are positive. But the first sentence of the Kirkus review from 1995 reads, Amelia is a bit smug and precious, but then so are some of our favorite nine-year-olds. Her story is told in her own words, pictures, and handwriting in her own composition notebook. What she has to say is funny, if unremarkable. But most importantly, she sounds like a real kid. And ultimately, like, I feel like, you know, the reviewer is acknowledging some of the things that we're talking about, which is that Amelia sounds like a real kid. But I also was like, there's some backhanded compliments in there of like, yeah, like she's a little smug and precious, which like, I guess is fine because all kids are like that. But I was a little surprised that that's how they opened it up. Yeah, that is so interesting because a word that came to mind is I'm like, oh, yeah, she's not like a polished child you know she's totally. not she's not polished she's not proper and I think that was one of the first things I remember like when I looked this up again is it was like this feeling of like oh yeah she was kind of just like free free expression you know whatever she was kind of feeling a certain way we like knew what it was and I really like that quality I think it's like I think it's very bold and very relatable because I think oftentimes we're told how we should feel or certain feelings aren't as positive as others. So I kind of like that, that we get these, if you want to say like unlikable qualities, you know, I think it's important, especially as like a little girl, <laughs> like I could say I was, I had a lot of moments as a child where I was not likable, you know, <laughs> but I, but I think like that's all of us if we're being honest. So yeah, that, that's so interesting that they were kind of harsh. Wow. 
I also think this conversation about likability is always an interesting one. And I'm glad you brought it up with respect to Amelia. So many of us as adults like appreciate unlikable narrators and unlikable main characters, unlikable protagonists, all of those things. I think that there's some like literary merit to effectively writing an unlikable character. And it's really fun mm-hmm. as an author to write a character who's not necessarily the most likable in a typical sense. But as a kid, I remember like most of the characters that I was raised on in books and in other pop culture, like there was this sense of like being this perfect role model. So I feel like in kid pop culture, at least in the 90s and the early aughts when I was growing up, it was like you had your narrators and your protagonists who were who were your idols, like they were mm-hmm. positioned as the right way to be and they were polished and shiny and well behaved And then on the other end of the spectrum, you just had like the villain and you had the mean girl and you had the popular kid who was bullying everybody. And there wasn't that much in between. And so it's weird that we're expected to like come of age after growing up on those kinds of stories and become somebody who like suddenly appreciates unlikable characters and nuance. And I think that's changed. Like I do think like from the more contemporary middle grade and YA that I've read recently, there are characters that are nuanced and I think we are allowed to write unlikable characters for younger people now. But I love that you described Amelia that way because it's a reminder for me that like she was really important to me in that way. I was a kid who was naturally a perfectionist. I put a lot of pressure on myself to like be perfect, to do everything for everyone. I think there's something in the sauce there about being a child of divorce. Like I was trying to do it all and like be the perfect kid for everybody involved. And it wouldn't be for many years that I finally saw like in books that I was reading characters that were actively trying to like push those expectations away. And without realizing it, I was taking in a character like Amelia who was starting to push those boundaries. And that's cool. Yeah, I love everything that you just mentioned because that is a really good reminder that because I'm yeah we're like the same age and growing up reading and having like these images of people specifically in books I wasn't really that into a lot of maybe like at the time kind of like mainstream popular stories and I I never really understood why but maybe that's why because the the characters were so polished and I was like a very similar to you. I was like such a type A perfectionist. Like I designed and created a world where I had to be very polished. Like I did ballet, you know, like I was just tip top all the time. And so my favorite books, I had like a really interesting phase where I was into like a lot of fantasy, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of fantasy written for, I want to say like junior high, older, kids uh like Piers Anthony like that whole series and I remember like a lot of it was kind of like risque you know it was like kind of messy and had like a lot of adult like metaphors and puns and and it was like really witty but a lot of characters were just yeah not not kind of like traditionally good it was there's a lot of gray areas and maybe that's why like I liked reading that because I could kind of escape my like little perfection bubble that I created for myself and live through these characters that, you know, made questionable decisions or had consequences or, you know, weren't trying so hard to be quote good. So it's so interesting that you brought that up. And I think, yeah, similarly, I think that's why Amelia was so cool back then because she wasn't trying to be polished at all. Like she was 
just had a lot of complexity there and and was just free. And I think that's also like the medium of like a journal, you know, like the idea is that you aren't presenting to anyone but yourself. So that's really, yeah, that's so cool that you mentioned that. Let's talk more about like some of the content of the things Amelia has written because we clearly love that she was so direct and open and unfiltered. And I think broadly speaking, like one of the places where she's the most unfiltered is in the way she writes about and draws other people. And as I read it as an adult, like I was like, wow, you know, these are things and I don't remember feeling this way at all as a kid. Maybe I did. But the way she like describes the way other people look, the way she like mentions these little details about their behavior. Those are things that as a kid, like I never would have given myself permission to even think like I probably would have felt like I had to filter those thoughts out because they weren't nice. Mm -hmm. But I, I did remember Cleo's jelly roll nose. Like that's one (laughs) thing that I have not been able to let go of since 1999 or whenever it was that I read this book for the first time. And while saying that somebody has a jelly roll nose isn't necessarily mean, it's also like not very complimentary. And I... I couldn't let it go. It's been stuck in my mind for all these years. So she has this fixation on noses and the way she draws people's noses. There's a whole like chart of different types of noses. But these jelly roll noses in particular are like not especially attractive. And she is very clear that that's what her older sister Cleo has. Yeah. Did you grow up watching As Told by Ginger? No. Do you remember that show? I think it was either Nickelodeon or Disney Channel, but the animation style reminds me a lot of the illustrations in this. And I think it it probably came out maybe like a few years after. I can't remember exactly when it came out. But the second I like was reading through the book, I was like, oh my gosh, this is like such a specific illustration style. And similar to As Told by Ginger, like the main character, she's very self-conscious about the way she looks. And a lot of the... A lot of the characters, yeah, they look kind of kind of quirky or, you know, different. And I did love that of like just just the way that she does describe people. It's it's very blunt and yeah. And kind of yeah, there there the word that you used earlier, like an unfiltered quality to it. That was so shocking. And I was kind of thinking, like, I don't know if this book could actually come out today, <laughs> like in today's time, just because, yeah, some of the stuff she says, you're like, whoa, did she really just say that? But I also think it is interesting that no matter kind of what era we're in, there is this idea of like, you know, who's cool or who you connect with or who you sit with and just like this quality of like belonging and, and you have to like look or be a certain way, I think is so interesting that that's something that seems very timeless. I think she kind of uses it as like a defense mechanism of like, I'm cooler than everyone. <laughs> yeah. Even though, you know, like we know she's not very cool, but that's what I love about her. She kind of plays tricks on herself to make herself feel cool. But yeah, the illustrations are, are great with that of just pointing out, I don't know, the whole thing about like zippers. Yes. Or not zippers, like zippers and braces. Like I had braces, but she like made braces seem cool. It was like, oh, maybe it was cool to wear braces as a kid. (laughs) Yeah, she draws braces as train tracks, which I thought Mm -hmm. was really creative. I mean, she's obviously very creative and so like artistic. I just happened to open to the spread with Cleo, her older sister, and Cleo's new friend, Gigi, Mm -hmm. which is sort of uh, relevant, I think, to our conversation about like who's cool and who's not and also just like – I don't know, unattractive, unflattering depictions because 
much is made of the contrast between Cleo and Gigi and how Gigi is like polished and well-mannered and has cool clothes and like even the drawing of Gigi is like pierced ear with earring cool tie-dye cool tie-dye shirt Gigi got on Telegraph Avenue in Berkeley Um, and then on the opposite side of the spread she's drawing Cleo just like looking like a total slob like she has massive she has like huge lumps of food on her face that are literally labeled lump of food yeah they're like crumbs everywhere and of course like you know we can kind of read between the lines and we know that there's some sibling rivalry here. Mm-hmm. But there's also like <laughs> at the top of that page, it's like polite Gigi. She likes carrots while Cleo loves hamburgers. And so, yeah, just like I think she's hitting it pretty hard with like, this is a cool girl. Like this is a gross girl. And my exactly. older sister is gross. Yeah. Yeah. That word gross is such like, a <laughs> word as a kid. You know, it's like oh, that person's gross. So funny. Also, one thing that I loved kind of jumping around I'm on the page. It's like the one next to the one with the braces. But how she's like, the best part about moving was eating in restaurants and yes. staying in hotels. I loved hotels growing yes, up. It was like the so coolest real. thing. And like going to a restaurant just felt so adult. I know. <laughs> I know. Now I take it for granted because I like can do mm-hmm. it and it's not as big of a deal. But yeah, going out to a restaurant was so big. I loved all the like road trip content. She has all these postcards. I love the um, necklace that she like pasted in the beaded necklace. She made one for her best friend Nadia back home and she like didn't want to wear the one she made for herself because she doesn't want anything to happen to it. Yes. So I loved like that drawing of this necklace that she's pasted into the pages. Yeah. And it just, I mean, the way she talks about Nadia, her best friend back home is really heart wrenching, but the way she also like kind of she talks about how sad she is about Nadia, but then at the same time, she's like, and then we had this, like, great sandwich at a diner. Like, yeah. she kind of is, she's, again, like, so straightforward about, like, these two things can happen at the same time. I can be sad and I can miss home. And I can also be having, like, a good-ass time on this road trip with my family. And my parents are, like, letting me eat whatever I want. And I'm going to paste some ketchup packets into this notebook. Like, it's nice balance because the book doesn't lean in any one emotional direction for very long. But it also, I think, is very true to the way that kids process information. It's like, I feel sad and also I'm having fun. Exactly. Yeah, like it doesn't get too heavy, which I think is kind of kind of a cool way to approach it. Like you said, like she's just, we're walking her through the motions and some things that I really also felt very like, ah, fond of is like writing letters or like, Mm. you know, the pictures of like talking on a like landline (laughs) with a cord. I'm trying to think if I had a cord phone. I probably did at some point, but yeah, just like how different it was to communicate back then. And I was always writing notes in class. And yeah, I think that was like really sweet and really special. Like that's And also such a cool way to celebrate being a storyteller is like Mm. through these letters or through what she tells to her friends and how she keeps in touch. Like, I think it's such a cool way to then encourage kids of like, oh, yeah, like I could write letters to my friends or I can jot down things in a story kind of format. I just thought it's really clever to kind of like inspire kids to be creative and like the way that they're thinking. I thought was so cool. And that does tie into a lot of the memories that I have about the American Girl universe more broadly. And like the whole American Girl product has changed so much over the years. And we've done a couple of American Girl episodes of the podcast, but we've only ever really talked about like the historical 
books and I have the fondest memories of their like creative books. So Amelia's Notebook was kind of the bridge between those two categories. But like I loved all the American Girl how-to books. Like I remember I had one about like creative calligraphy and like how to throw the best slumber party ever. And it was all about making crafts and being creative and expressing yourself. And like some of my fondest memories of being a kid were when I was like lost in those books and just like coming up with things to do. And I hate to sound like an old lady here, but like I I can't help but think that a lot of that's lost. And I, I can't help but worry that a kid picking up Amelia's Notebook in 2023 for the first time might think it's fun, but wouldn't necessarily be able to make the connection to like, oh, this is a thing that I could do. No, that's such a good point. Yeah, I'm curious if kids scrapbook or if it's all they like I don't know do it online now but I think that's one of my one thing that I loved as a kid was like literally coming up with my own stories and my own scenarios like I was a big Barbie person yeah I just was always like coming up with like mini novellas for them <laughs> just like <laughs> now he's doing this to her and she you know like it was always so dramatic but yeah, I'm, I'm curious if kids are creating, I guess they're like probably creating videos now more, like, yeah. you know, on TikTok and stuff. But yeah, like handwritten notes or like acting it out with your friends and not just like broadcasting it. That was another cool thing about rereading this is it felt very private. You know, I think we do live in an age where we do know a lot about other people, but there is a slight tinge of like, oh, this is for other people. But with this book, it was like, this is for Amelia. You know, she's like, she's jotting down how she feels about these things, not really considering what other people think, which I think is such a cool quality about her. Like she's, she's very unapologetic, which I don't know. I feel like I, I used to have that more as a kid that as you get older, you get more self-conscious. But yeah, she's just so, so real. <laughs> it's so private and so for Amelia that there's a full spread where she just has stickers that say bug off, stay out, private, top secret, caution, reading this material may be hazardous to your health, a special <laughs> fingerprint paper, your prints are being recorded now because she thinks that Cleo is reading her journal. And I love that you said that because I do think like there was something to just like making things and creating stories for the sake of making things and creating stories and not for public consumption. Like I remember coming up with crazy plays with my friends in my basement and we would like drag my mom down to watch them, but like she would watch it once, but we would have performed it for nobody for, for hours. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure now there's kids making like really cool stuff online and you can probably watch their plays on TikTok and that's great but listeners if you have a young person in your life like this is your suggestion I won't say that it's your sign because maybe this doesn't work for your kid but here's a suggestion it's the summertime maybe like go out and grab a notebook or a scrapbook like I did feel inspired after reading Amelia's notebook again as a 32 year old to think about ways that I could like make tangible stuff with my hands and document my life in a different way. And I know for a fact that I felt that way when I was a kid. So this is your suggestion. Go get some craft supplies, like invite them to make something with their hands, make a scrapbook because it is, it was so fun. And reading this book was a great reminder of that. Yeah, absolutely. I recently visited my parents 
And of course, I've made them keep like boxes of stuff that they keep. And I'm like, can you please get rid of this? But <laughs> but I actually did find one of my old my old scrapbooks, and it was just such a cool thing to kind of look back and and get a little peek inside, you know, little Mickey's brain of like, what did I care about or what did I like? And it was funny. A lot of it actually was just like templates. Like I didn't actually have like my own pictures in it. Yeah. But I was like designing, you know, these like full spreads that were. Like, yeah, there was one that was a road trip themed or one that was like baby themed. I don't know why I had that one. I was like obsessed with having a baby maybe. But yeah, it was just kind of fun to see like a physical thing that you can hold and look at. And and I think that's a great suggestion for for parents of, you know, I think we all like to kind of go back and like sift through, you know, real things and it'd just be fun to have like a notebook to look back on yeah for kids today yeah I I agree if there's one part of this book that I was not so crazy about it would be the spread about school lunches and and look part of it is because the school lunch just looks disgusting and it took me back to my days of school lunches I thought that all the little doodles of the individual foods were funny but gross I felt a little bummed about the drawing of Melissa. It says the only kid who ate everything was Melissa. She says food here is lots better than what she gets at home. She even helps the hairnet lady so she can have seconds. I like wish that there had been like a little bit more about that because at first I felt like it was a little bit shamey of like, oh, like this is the only girl who eats everything. And the drawing feels like a little snarky of like, oh, look at this girl eating everything and nobody else does and then there's also this sort of like underlying subtext of is there some food insecurity going on and I don't know like I think again this is me as an adult I'm like I think maybe a little bit more sensitivity could have been applied to that just because it's hard to say like what part of this whole situation Amelia is commenting on or snarking on so I think if I had to pick one thing that I didn't love it would probably be that moment interesting and I remember I I was reading it I was like oh yeah like it wasn't just my school that had disgusting lunch (laughs) but it's interesting that you mentioned this page because I remember reading it and I thought it was interesting that she includes the sentence she says food here is lots better than what she gets at home yeah like that really hit me of like I remember I remember knowing kids like that and they had to and to me it kind of tugged at like the empathy piece a Mm. bit so that's interesting that we just interpret it in different ways. But as a kid, I could see myself being like, oh, yeah, that's so gross. But as an adult, I was like, huh. Yeah. Like that just like made me think of like, oh, I would actually I, I, I like that she gives a reason. Yeah. But it is interesting, though, that you mentioned the food insecurity. I thought it was funny that she's like pro carrots and not hamburgers it's like you're a kid why why would you not like hamburgers <laughs> and and like her sister only eats hamburgers being a bad thing that i'm sure is very like shamey yeah i think being a girl in general is always weird when it comes to food <laughs> yeah i mean here we are yeah. all these years yeah. later still dealing with it so yeah maybe i just felt like there was something icky about like all of the food stuff and it kind of coalesced in that moment with melissa i think to your point like as an adult like just for myself I'm like, oh, it's it's interesting that Marissa Moss chose to include that detail about food insecurity because it's like that's important it's great that we are showing that experience 
But I think as an adult reading this, thinking about kids reading it, I was like, oh, I wish that there was like one more sentence in there that explained it. So I think it's just like complicated maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I think that's like a point of back then it's like you could say a sentence about it, whereas now we would probably get a sub subplot with that, which is kind of cool to show the progress that we can talk about these things that have traditionally been like taboo or uncomfortable. Very interesting. And I, of course, want to call out like one more fun page. I mean, there are many fun pages, but the rainbow pencil that she has taped into the book from her friend Nadia's prize bag at her birthday party. Mm. The rainbow pencil is one of several party favors. um, And just seeing the way she like pasted them all in it reminded me of all the goodies that I loved as a kid, like those rainbow pencils, um, an eraser shaped like an ice cream cone, stickers. We already talked about our stickers and how much we loved them, a ring. And then she describes this other thing as a party thing you blow on to make a toot sound. Not like is exactly what it is. Like there's no other word for that. These like little colorful spreads were just a lot of fun and they they were really nostalgic for me. So fun. Yeah, and just like the colors and the idea of like a birthday party. It's funny. As I've gotten older, I've gotten less, I've become less of a fan of like my own birthday. It just makes me feel slightly anxious to come up with a cool thing and if people are going to show up. But as a kid, it was so fun going to birthdays and planning your birthday and, and all the colors that were involved. And so that was like kind of fun where I was like, oh, yeah, birthdays used to be really cool. (laughs) I used to like birthdays. (laughs) Yeah, my mom was always really into planning birthday parties. And I remember like the big annual event of going to the party supply store and like just walking the aisles and deciding what we were going to do. And when I was really little, there was always a theme. But then I got older and I was like, I'm too old for themes. Let's just pick colors. And, you know, like choosing (laughs) the items for goodie bags, like those things were just so fun. And I agree, like now there's so much pressure around an adult birthday. Like I always feel weird asking people to do something and putting that pressure on them. But then you also feel kind of sad if you don't make the plan. So, yeah, it's nice to be reminded of a simpler time when you could just like have a fun celebration and like get an eraser shaped like an ice cream cone. Exactly. Yeah. So on the whole, what was your experience of coming back to Amelia's notebook, like compared to your memories of reading it as a kid, did it let you down at all or did it hold up to those memories? I think it held up. I think generally it did hold up of, oh yeah, this was like a fun, funny, immersive type of read. But I don't think I realized it until you mentioned it. I still can't really recall or tell you (laughs) what happened and we just talked about it for 45 minutes and we don't know what happened (laughs) exactly you know what I mean like yeah like I couldn't like give you like a great synopsis of like oh yeah she like does this and then she does this at one point and then this happens like it still feels very fragmented in my mind where maybe as a kid yeah maybe it made more sense because my brain was maybe more jumped around I don't know but yeah I think it holds up as as it felt very different it felt very honest and and real and yeah, just thinking of like that word gross. <laughs> it's just, you know, not the prettiest book in terms of like the character isn't this polished person. So that seems the same. But it is funny how, yeah, I don't remember clearly 
what happens in the story. <laughs> yeah, like vaguely she moves, she goes on a road trip, she talks a lot of shit about her sister. <laughs> yep, she has a new friend. Yeah, but not there's a, a party bag. <laughs> they talk about school lunch and that's kind of it. There's there's not that much more to it, but it feels very fragmented. So I, I echo that. Other than Amelia's Notebook, which again, I want to thank you for choosing so that we could have this conversation about it. What have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our SSR listeners? Ooh, so it's not a children's focused book, but I've started reading, it's a book of short stories by Ling Ma. It's called Bliss Montage. And it's really cool. I've gotten through maybe three or four. And I always like reading books where I don't know the characters they just seem so relatable and some of it is a little nostalgic like one of the short stories she's recalling the characters recalling a time when she was in college and like dealing with a kind of like a problematic friendship and just like how do you kind of like break up with a friend and I thought that was like really interesting and timely as you like grow up through different phases of your life that was really interesting another one of the stories was really fascinating it was about a woman who was married with kids but all of her ex-boyfriends like lived in her house <laughs> not like literally but you know she kind of like goes through which i thought was just like an interesting way to think about a relationship as you do have this baggage and these memories and experiences and if you think of it as they take up a wing in your house, that was like a cool way to kind of like imagine like romantic history. Yeah, they're just really kind of wacky and out there and very imaginative. So yeah. I'll check it out. Yeah, I sometimes struggle with short stories. Like I can't always find short stories that I love, but that sounds like it could be really interesting. So maybe I will check it out. And listeners, I will make sure that you have a link to check it out yourselves too. And Mickey, now we have to talk about your new book, Cake Mix. Congratulations. I have gotten a chance to take a peek and it's just delightful is like the only word that comes to mind. So can you tell our listeners more about it? Thank you so much. Yes. So I have my debut children's book, Cake Mix, Learning to Love All Your Ingredients. And it's about a little mixed race girl named Remy. And she's out on the playground and is asked the question, what are you? And not knowing what the question means or how to respond, she gets very self-conscious and then goes home where her mom teaches her what it means to be mixed race by baking a cake. And ultimately through baking, she learns that she has a lot of ingredients that make up who she is and she's proud of that. So it's, it's a very personal story. I mixed race myself. My dad is Mexican-American and there's like indigenous Native American lineage there. And then my mom is black and Polish. I think Polish Jewish. So yeah, there's just like a lot, <laughs> a lot kind of going on without like a lot of maybe like close ties to all these different cultures. So I've always kind of felt a little out of place, if you will, of not being able to fully claim a certain kind of cultural heritage. So I really wanted to have a book where you can talk about race and ethnicity in a way that is kind of like light and attainable for young readers. It's it's specifically written for like five to eight year olds, but I know younger kids, uh, friends of mine, their kids read it and like their two year old has it memorized, which I think is adorable. Yeah, because I just wanted a way to talk about, you know, ethnicity 
in a way that that opens up for more conversations. It's not necessarily telling people you can't ask this question or this is how you have to feel if you are mixed or this is what it means for everyone. So I think everyone's experience is different, but it's kind of just like a nice conversation starter using the metaphor of baking that's very whimsical and fun and sensory that kids can be open to the conversation at a young age and using it as a tool for both teachers and parents to talk about it in a way that doesn't feel so daunting because I know it can be daunting you know it's it's a very complex and and tricky topic especially in today's age so I wanted to contribute to diversity conversation in a way that was a little more fun light and could be used in homes and in the classroom. Absolutely. I mean, I wish this kind of diversity conversation was happening in my classroom when I was a kid. I I took a race and ethnicity class in grad school a few years ago, and I learned a lot. But I feel like if I'd had cake mix as a kid, I, I would have gotten a lot of that as a kid. And I would have been able to take that throughout my whole life and evolve it as I grew up and matured. And so I know that this is a book that I'm going to be gifting to a lot of people in my life and listeners, I would encourage you to do the same. It's just so cool to have this concept expressed in a really tangible way and in a way that like kids are interested in. Kids love to bake. Kids love to get in the kitchen. It's interesting. So I just love, I love what you've done, Mickey, and I'm excited to give you a chance to share more about it. And I can't wait to see even more people get their hands on the book. So congratulations. Thank you so much for spending this time with me today. Thanks, Allie. This was such a fun fun return to the past. <laughs> I agree. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>